In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents Betches Moms with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Get ready to lock yourself in the bathroom or wherever else you hide from your kids because you'll literally never be alone again. Hi, Betches Moms. Before we jump in, we have a quick content warning. Um, in this episode, we discuss topics of child safety, endangerment, and loss of life. We wanted to say that up front because this episode can get a little bit heavy, so please use discretion when listening. Hello, and welcome to the Betches Moms podcast. I'm Aileen. And I'm Brittany. And today we're joined by Holly Choi, co-owner of the Safe Beginnings First Aid and expert of infant and toddler-focused safety. Welcome to the show, Holly. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. We have so many questions, and I feel like a lot of the things that we talk about, like you're the person that we need like in our ear telling us like, oh, no, this is actually like what is yeah. safe, what isn't safe. So we have so many questions for you today. Um, I'm here for it. <laughs> could you just give us and the listeners a little bit of a background about you and your company? Yeah, absolutely. So again, my name is Holly Choice. So our company, Safe Beginnings First Aid, is really more than just first aid. We do all things baby and toddler safety. So I am a nationally certified first aid instructor with the Red Cross, but I'm also a child passenger safety technician instructor, uh, which is a long-winded way of effectively saying I'm certified in car seat safety. Um, I also have expertise in baby proofing and just general childhood injury prevention. So basically anything that has to do with babies and toddlers and keeping them safe, I am all over it. And most of the education I do is online. So I have an Instagram account, Safe Beginnings, where I share tips with parents to keep their little ones safe. What made you get into this area? Well, it was a long journey of honestly just a pregnant crisis trying to decide what I wanted to do with my life. I previously trained physicians on medical software, so I, I knew that I loved being an educator, but I wasn't sure how to make that work schedule-wise with wanting to spend some more time with my kids. So um, it just kind of all fell into place because my sister had been doing it for a while and we teamed up and I fell down that rabbit hole pretty fast. No pun intended. <laughs> so how do you how do you stay up to date with all these safety rules? I feel like they're changing literally daily. It is. It is really overwhelming. There are so many great resources out there. There is obviously the AAP website and the Consumer Product Safety Commission are just two awesome resources to stay up to date on what the most common recommendations or current recommendations are for parents when it comes to child safety. So whenever I am presented with a question of, you know, like, what is the recommendation? Those are the two places I always direct people to find that relevant source because there's so much noise out there right now. Mm -hmm. As moms, we think about child safety. It feels like very overwhelming. It's like, like I even woke up in a panic last night, like at 4.30 in the morning. Like I had this like vision of falling, holding my kid. And then I was like, oh my God, I need to mat my entire floor. <laughs> and it was just, and I was like, oh, thank God we're talking to Holly today. But so where, how do you, first of all, talk moms off a ledge, but then also help them prioritize how to keep your kids safe? Yeah. So something that I found really powerful as a mindset is to learn what's the difference between a risk and what's the difference between a hazard. Because when you look at those two things, they're actually really different. So I'll give you an example of both. So a risk is something where something bad could happen, but there's going to be a benefit. So um, to use a really straightforward example, if you cross the street, could I be hit by a car? Totally. 
but am I going to get across the street and move on with my life? Yes. Versus a hazard would be something where there's no benefit. So if I break a you know glass on the ground and let my child play with broken glass, is there a benefit developmentally to that? No. <laughs> so if you can take a step back from a problem or a decision you're trying to make and think, mm, is this actually a hazard or is it a risk? If it's a risk, then you can start to weigh the pros and cons, because if there are developmental benefits to a child taking a risk, it's something worth considering um, as long as we can minimize the chance of injury. So I'm all for kids climbing trees and, you know, taking big jumps. But have we made sure that when they do stuff like that, that we've minimized the chance of serious injury? And if you can sort of segment those two things, it makes decision making a lot easier. Oh boy. Yeah. My kid doesn't climb a tree yet, but now I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) But I am at the point where my toddler is climbing, especially when we're on, um, we're at the playground and he's climbing and I have to let go and kind of let him learn those things for himself. Um, so like I, I could like, I get that a little bit, but it's scary as a parent because I, the entire time I'm envisioning something happening. Yeah. And that anxiety is real. And I think some of us, myself included, really that postpartum anxiety kind of escalates as we work through those toddler years because they're just daredevils. So having some basic information at hand as to what the actual risks are or hazards are actually helps too. Um, So one of the things that I like to do, um, mostly with my Instagram account, because it's an easy way to just put small pieces of information out into the world is, okay, let's say we're going to the playground. Are there recommendations on what equipment would be safer for a two-year-old to use versus a six-year-old and why? And we don't always have to follow every recommendation as a rule book as long as we understand what the risks are and then go from there and, and make those decisions. So I think a lot of people often label me, mislabel me right off the bat as a helicopter parent, but I am the absolute opposite. I know what could happen. And then from there, I make a decision based on my comfort level. Right. Um, Should we talk about childproofing? Because I feel like that's the first thing we think of when it comes to safety. So what does it mean to childproof? How do you do it? What are the things that you see people do that's a little overboard? What are the things that people don't do enough? Oh, gosh, yes, I have so much to say. (laughs) So childproofing really is just the concept of can I remove hazards from my home, right? So we, we know what risks are, but can I remove hazards? So for children, that's going to be a lot of different things. The main ones that we think about are fall hazards, strangulation hazards, and kind of like burns. Those are, I find the largest ones. Drowning would be another one. Um, And a lot of these things we have present in our home in some capacity, but they're easy for us to manage. So whenever I have a parent say to me, you know, when should I start baby proofing or child proofing because I'm pregnant now and I like, is it, is it extra if I do that right now off the bat? I say, absolutely not. That's a great time to start because if you are proactive you're going to have a better experience than if you do everything reactively. So an example I like to give is, you know, thinking, oh, well, I'll I'll wait until they're crawling and then I'm going to (laughs) baby-proof. Then your kid crawls across the floor (laughs) and you go, oh, (laughs) okay, we are off to the store to get a gate. And and then we are scrambling. So um, if anyone happens to be, you know, expecting their first baby and listening to this, I would say, if you can put that on your registry, gosh, that stuff gets expensive. Just put it on your registry and get people to buy it for you. <laughs> That's a great way to just get it started and have that prioritized off the bat. But in terms of like the most overlooked thing, I would say it is hands down anchoring furniture. I think anchoring furniture is the most important baby proofing thing people can do in their homes. And It's a hard one because a lot of people initially are hesitant. They don't want to make holes in the wall. But a lot of injuries that we see in kids, um, kids are pretty resilient. And we often get second chances with injuries. But when it comes to furniture tip over incidents, that's one that we very rarely do. And it's 
so quick and it's such a serious injury and it's so easily preventable. And I will say that even though it can be daunting, um, especially if you're not, you know, you don't have anyone that's super handy in your home, you don't feel confident doing that yourself. There's so many awesome childproofers out there and you can find one in your area and just have someone come in and do it for you. But it's one of those things that just get that peace of mind, get it done. Because uh, we've all seen the videos on the internet of the dressers falling down. And it's just something that's so, so easy to prevent and so crucial. So that would be my biggest one. Please, if you haven't done it, anchor your furniture. Um, That's scary. I didn't know they were childproofers. Is that crazy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? We're kind of a small knit bunch, to be honest. Um, If anyone's curious, there's a great website It's the International Association for Child Safety, so IAFCS.org, and Mm -hmm. they have a map of North America, and you can just look up in your state, you know, who is a childproofer and call someone. And a lot of people do consults over the phones if you don't have, or Zoom or whatever. So if you don't have someone locally and you just need like a, hey, what what am I going to do here? Will they come and um, like install things like gates? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's and, my next you know, call. Especially like <laughs> 2022, some of the design trends we have, you look at a house and you go, how do I even put Start. a gate here? Yeah. There's always a solution. Okay. That's great. I'm currently having that issue in, in one of my steps. <laughs> and oh, I'm gosh. like trying to like figure out how to do that. But yeah, it's like crazy. You need to like work in like these weird, like in areas you think that they're never, you're like, oh, that's not going to be an issue. And it ends up being an issue. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. I tried to buy like circular furniture, (laughs) (laughs) like coffee table. When I was like shopping for stuff, I bought like circular around coffee table, not nothing too sharp when it comes to like side tables because I was just like looking at things and I was like, oh, (laughs) anxiety. My stomach's dropping. (laughs) Do you have any um, recommendations for for gates? Like where do where are people supposed to put gates um, do you recommend like having a gated play area? Um, yeah. Yeah. So gates are super crucial for especially people that have stairs in their home. So if you're on a one level home, it's again, can be that you end up using them for other reasons. But when you've got stairs, we've got to use gates because um, where we see true head injury in children is falls from a height and stairs being one of the leading causes. But Gates are almost always misused, almost always, um, for a few reasons. Um, families that rent maybe, again, don't want to make holes in the wall, um, or we're just not making good gate choices because we're uninformed on what we should be using. So at the top of the stairs, that's where you're most likely to have a fall from the, from the top down versus the bottom of the stairs. If you fall, you're kind of just falling from standing height. It's way less traumatic. So at the top of the stairs, we suggest using a hardware mount gate, which means the gate would physically be screwed into the home. And then otherwise, the two other types of gates that are currently on the market are pressure mounted gates, which a lot of people have. Those are the ones you tighten um, kind of like a shower curtain rod into place. And the other one is a mesh retractable gate, which is a really popular option at the moment, but there are a few downsides to them. So the catch with those mesh gates is that they have to be used very specifically. And if they aren't completely followed to the T every time, we've seen injuries happen. So if you imagine the top step of a staircase and then this mesh gate in front of it, If the gate isn't properly locked, children can push on the mesh and sort of create this gap and fall down the stairs. And they've also been known to, if they're not perfectly hooked on, retract and then have the child go down the stairs. The same thing can happen with pressure-mounted gates because they're not screwed into the home. Children can knock them down and go down the stairs with the gate. So our recommendation is if it's at the top of the stairs, just use a hardware mount gate. And if you were to use something else, it would have to be at least a few feet back. So if the gate comes down, they're not immediately falling. Um, So if you're on the same level or if you're just, you know, dividing a kitchen from a living room to keep the kid out of the kitchen, anything's fine. But at the top of the stairs, that hardware mount gate, it's so 
crucial. So um, again, there's often challenges with these, but there's always a solution. And even if you have like the top of a stairway where it's not a straight line and you've got like an angle that you have to deal with, there's angle mount gates. There's always a solution. So sometimes just reaching out to a baby proofer and getting some advice is so helpful. When it comes to um, like all the different options for childproofing your cabinets, there's magnets, there's like the finger hook. How do you know what the right option is? Yeah. So the magnetic locks are super popular. And my friend Daniel, who is, um, his company is called Full House Baby Proofing. He's based out of Florida. He explained this to me in a really beautiful way. Those magnetic locks look great because you don't have anything in the cabinets. Like it just looks so seamless. But if you're putting them on a cabinet door, like let's say under the sink where you might keep a bunch of cleaning supplies, if you have to use like this little key thing to open it, it's not a big deal. But imagine the drawer that you keep your utensils in and the drawer that you keep your, you know, cooking uh, supplies in or your pots and pans. Suddenly having to grab a key to open that every single time gets really annoying. So for drawers, using the little finger latches is usually just a lot more convenient for everyone. But if you have cupboards that you really just don't want them to have the opportunity to get into, the magnetic ones are great for that because they'll have to have the key to do that. So as long as the key is not accessible, they'll do their job. <laughs> what if they figure out how to find the key? <laughs> <I> know, <right? laughs> There's always layers to this. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches, and honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. What are some of your favorite things to do and like how to baby-proof a house? So um, some really overlooked things that I always suggest to parents is to look, especially when you transition like out of the crib and into a toddler room, it's so important to just look for cords um, because oftentimes when you've got them in the crib, the recommendation at that point is to just keep them three feet from the crib, which is pretty easily manageable. But then once you've got them out of the crib, they've got free reign. So having the furniture anchored, but the cords is a huge one. Um, there's some really cool, so anyone that's really keen on having like an aesthetically pleasing room, there are these things called cable concealers, and they're effectively these little plastic channels that you can put along the baseboard that you put the cord in and then you cover it. So it has a little cover that snaps on top and they're paintable. So you can paint it to match the room, but it keeps it so tidy. 
and safe. And that's really at the end of the day, the most important thing is just that if you can have any any space that they're going to be unattended, it's just so important that you've got those cords out of reach. So cords is a big one for me. Um, but also just consider like, you know, you could still use things like a baby monitor, you don't have to get rid of that stuff right away. And it can just be another layer of protection. So keeping in mind, like if this one thing fails, do I have something else that's there to kind of warn me? Um, so things like a uh, knob lock on a bathroom door, that kind of stuff can just go the extra mile for you. Um, we're winding back to kitchens and just kids eating. And and we recently were had somebody on to talk about baby blood weaning and so and like choking and things like that. What's your opinion on um, like child safety when it comes to introducing food? Yeah, I get asked this question all the time. And I think it comes back to the <laughs> misconception that I'm a helicopter parent. But baby led weaning is there's no evidence to suggest that there is any increased choking risk, as long as we're doing it properly, right? If we're following the recommendations on how to prepare the food then it's an absolutely safe way to feed kids. And I did it for both my kids. And I often get shocked faces when I say that. But um, the main thing is that it boils down to the size and texture of the food. And that's the concept of baby led weaning. Um, and the other thing that I found really intriguing about baby led weaning myself is that because it forces children to put their tongue to their palate, we just see a lot earlier speech outcomes in kids, like positive speech outcomes as a result. So um, there's no harm in doing it. But I also say to parents that are nervous about it, of course, if you have extreme anxiety <laughs> feeding solids, which a lot of people do, then you can always backtrack. You can always rewind and you can go back to making the food smaller. You can puree things if you need to. But we know that there's no, no evidence to show an increased choking risk. The other piece of advice I often give parents to, which sounds a little bit odd, is to go watch gagging videos on the internet. Just go watch videos of other people's children that are not your kids gagging and making it through. Because if you can see that process and kind of desensitize yourself first on other people's children, when it's happening with your child and you've recognized it, it's a lot easier to get through those moments. And for me, that was huge because my postpartum anxiety was next level when it came to starting solids. So I hear people on that one. Mm -hmm. Do you recommend having like taking CPR course, doing all of that or having anything in the house just in case? Yeah. So, um, so I've been teaching CPR workshops myself for uh, almost seven years now, but it's one of the reasons that people come to my workshops almost exclusively is that they are starting solids. So it's, it's one of those things where we hope we don't have to use those skills, but if you do need them, it's just so important to have them. And, um, you know, just having that peace of mind again, it's a very small investment of your time to go learn that and just be prepared. And I recommend doing that every one to two to three years, depending on how good your memory is. Mine's awful. So I'm fortunate that I teach that. <laughs> but if you can take a, a, a workshop, that's awesome. Um, I've been teaching online through the pandemic, but if you can go in person, it's also great to just get some hands-on experience. Um, not with a real child, obviously, but using um, a mannequin of some sort so that you can get a feel for what the maneuver is like. But to answer your question about having something on hand, so I often get asked this um, in regards to the de-choking devices that are on the market. And I don't have a particularly huge issue with people having them as a backup. But there isn't currently enough evidence for it to be recommended um, medically. Uh, pediatricians, emergency room physicians, none of them recommend those devices. And it's just because there isn't enough data to show that they are truly effective um, compared to the actual first aid maneuvers used like, to relieve. Like the Heimlich? Exactly. And you've always got your hands with you, whereas you don't always have the device with you. And they're one-time use devices, so you can't really practice, um, nor should you practice that in theory, <laughs> um, hopefully not. But it's one of those things where we know that choking maneuvers, the, the first aid maneuvers are so effective. 
And if you have first aid skills, you're set. They are so effective on kids as long as we are doing proper technique. That's interesting to say that you should do it every few years because also like your kid's size changes and like I'm sure the technique is a little bit different. I mean, yeah, I know it's different on babies, right, than it is on toddlers. So um, that's a great point. Yeah. One of the things that we did when we developed our programs was we made sure that we talked about the changes in body sizes and developmentally what that looks like, because um, you can also have really large babies and really small babies. And my daughters were both 15 pounds at a year old. So a lot of things that might be appropriate for other people's kids weren't appropriate for my kids yet. So having that full scope is really important. And uh, yeah, keeping up to date. So I've always made sure that when I teach, I teach everything. Um, would you, in like kind of talking about the choking devices, only because I do have them and it's more of like an anxiety thing, I feel better that it's just there. Would you say that it's better to have them on hand, God forbid, CPR wasn't working and you couldn't get paramedics there on time? I would say that there's no harm. So the official recommendation from the device manufacturer is to try everything else first. I find that kind of telling personally. Um, but in in that scenario, if you've got it there, yeah, I would get it out and use it. Um, but we do know that the likelihood of the maneuvers, the, the first aid maneuvers being effective is just so strong that um, if it's something that having it in the cupboard gives you that peace of mind, because I hear you on that, then there's no harm in having it as a backup. Right. Okay. Well, that's good to know. It's not <laughs> terrible to like have it. <laughs> no, no, no. You're not going to like break anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of moving on from that, talking more about sleep, there's so much information about sleep and you still see people with bumpers in their cribs and all these other things, even though we're being told not to use them. What are the actual guidelines for safe sleep from infant all the way to, to toddler? Yeah. So this is where um, we'll often use the ABCs of safe sleep. So alone on a back in their crib. Um, and really the, the more bare the sleep environment, the better. And I, I always like to say to parents, you know, things that look really uncomfortable to us are just not uncomfortable to kids because they're so much more flexible. And you can imagine like a, you know, a toddler preschooler, just they could just fall asleep on the stairs and they'd wake up and they'd be okay. <laughs> um, whereas if we did that, we'd be wrecked. So it's very different for their bodies. Um, and so things that, you know, like not having a pillow, for example, uh, for me, that would be devastating. <laughs> but for uh, a baby or a toddler, like they don't know what they don't know and, and they're not really missing it. So ideally keeping their sleep space just clear of anything that's plush. The catch with bumpers, because I often get this one and I, I hear it. I hear this from parents a lot is that you know, like their arms are getting stuck. Like I feel like they're going to break their arm. So there were a lot of studies done through the Consumer Product Safety Commission. And they found that there was just like as many like injuries, like head injuries, which again, so rare, so rare, uh, happening with bumpers than without. And that the suffocation risk is one thing. The strangulation risk is another thing. But regardless of whether you're using like a traditional bumper or a mesh bumper, kids also use them to climb out of the crib because they can get leverage on it. Um, and <laughs> something that I definitely did myself <laughs> as a toddler. So it's um, it's just not recommended across the board, even for the mesh ones. So anything you can keep just clear uh, for mattress, no extra stuff. So under 12 months, they recommend no soft goods. So that would be things like the blankets and pillows. Um, pillows, they recommend holding off until around 24 months, um, mostly because they don't really need it. And it's just that extra, you know, thing that could be a hazard to them. Uh, and then usually at that point, their sleep space starts to become a pile of stuffed animals. So if you find that there's a lot of things that they could use to leverage out of the crib or they start to look like they're about to climb out of the crib, any attempts for that, I would strongly suggest moving toward the toddler bed stage. 
So um, some people will do a floor bed and that's totally cool. Um, or uh, you can use a regular bed. The catch is if you're going to use bed rails, just make sure you're really carefully following the instructions from the manufacturer. Um, a lot of them can't be used under age two um, and they have to be used on certain types of bed frames. So if you buy like a standard twin size bed, uh, you have to be sure that the rails you buy fit properly. So don't throw out the box before you try everything. And uh, otherwise you can get toddler beds. Tod toddler specific beds typically have built-in rails of some sort and that's just a great way to deal with that. Right, and also there's cribs that are like the three-in-ones. Is those Are those safe? Yeah, it's just, it's the same idea as a toddler bed where they've kind of converted it as long as it's a current crib. Um, there were all those drop side cribs from like the early 2000s that are now gone. But as long as it's a current crib, you're good. I've been thinking about the bumpers, but now I won't get one because I I gave my, my daughter's eight months old and I give her like throw like 100 pacifiers in her bed. <laughs> Not 100, but you know what I mean? And she, yeah. I, but she still wakes up with zero because she like, like, just like throws them like violently <laughs> off her crib like it just swipes her arm and takes like takes out six so I was like oh maybe it would be like better but no I, I thought I, I thought twice about it and then I'm glad you're saying that it's better just to, to not because they can yeah. stick their face against it too right Totally. And the thing is, like, my both my kids definitely had their arms and legs hanging out of their crib slats, like, all the time. I have so many pictures of it that I send to parents to just be like, don't worry, like, this happened to me. I'm not just saying no to you. <laughs> I also had this happen. But it is a fairly short-lived phase. And do they sometimes cry and have us come and help them out? Yes. But are we going to actually see them break an arm or leg? No. Right. Because they can feel the resistance. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Right. The thing that's helped me is I, I watch my, like I see my daughter's arm is through the crib and then I'll like watch it on the monitor. I'm like, will she be able to get herself out? And she does. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> you got it yeah. going on. <laughs> you go, girl. Yeah. <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> so even like the, like the, um, like the bar covers that are literally can't be removed like they're very hard to be removed like the sort of velcro ones that you you put on the slats yeah so anything that would be like an added plush is considered a no from the aap's perspective just because it can heighten that risk um the other one i'll often get asked about is the top bar because kids all chew on their cribs too um so if you have to get something for that uh if you can find one that's plastic is the AEP's recommendation just to have something that's a hard plastic, like firm, um, because there's ones that you can tie on. But again, once we start introducing that, if it comes loose, it's it's a whole other thing. Yeah. So rule is just nothing. Just yeah. whatever Ideally you bought nothing. the crib, leave it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It, it looks like we're torturing them, but they yeah. don't feel the torch. They're no, enjoying they themselves. <laughs> They're having a great time. Yeah. They're, they're having a party. <laughs> and when are you supposed to flip the mattress? Because you know how in the crib mattresses come with a soft side and a firm side. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, peel, peel off your uh, sheet and you'll see. Um, a lot of them will have a label on each side and it is different per manufacturer. So um, some of them will be like 12 months. Uh, but have a look at your actual crib mattress and there will typically be on a label there somewhere this side is for 12 months and up and this side is for under um, usually 12 months is the line uh, and that I recommendation again that the firmer side would be used for the infant it's okay don't worry you're doing great <laughs> her face <laughs> I was googling I don't think my mattress does that a lot of them do yeah so so uh, if it doesn't don't worry but if <laughs> If it does, you're just just flip it I'm over. Just like good. googling right now. <laughs> I have to be honest. I don't know what side mattress Jack is on right now. I have an 11 month old, and I, I truthfully don't know what side he's on. <laughs> well, and honestly, in the middle of the night, they've wet their bed. You have to change the sheet, and then you flop it back in, and you went, "Oh wait, I don't think I paid attention that time." And then the next time it happens, you realize, yeah. Yeah, because my I have that Newton New, Newton Newton mattress that's like breathable. Is I that, that, is that legitimate? Consistent. Yes. Okay. And I, but she peed through the, oh, no. even the, the cover. And so I had to go buy different covers. So I, I truly have no idea what side I put anything on. <laughs> 
Wait, can we talk about breathable mattresses for a second? Because this was actually something I feel like I learned about with my second child. I didn't know about with my first child. And so Newton is one of them, right? So what like and what the, makes them breathable and like is it an actual thing that it's safer? They can help. So the catch is that of course the bedding also plays into it. So when we start putting things on like waterproof mattress pads that can go down significantly. Um, and a lot of these companies will have their own solutions for that to help maintain the breathability of it. But at the end of the day, really the most important thing in terms of the child safety is that it's firm because if it's squishy and breathable, then that that's not going to solve the problem. It's really, is it firm? So, um, like one of the reasons that uh, no one, you know, like over in Japan, bats and I at putting a baby to sleep just on the floor is because it's just, it's firm. It's a really firm surface. So, um, which oh, always seems horrible to us. Yeah, they totally sleep on the floor over there. Um, but uh, yeah, so having, having a firm mattress at the end of the day is the most important thing. And so regardless of, of where you get it from, having one that's more breathable is just like an extra bonus. But uh, the firmness is what's really going to keep them safe at the end of the day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Can we now talk about water? So bath time, what I haven't really thought about like safety besides just like hovering, <laughs> just being there at all times. So what do, are there like further recommendations for bath time safety? Yeah. So oh, drowning is a really hard one to talk about because it's such a scary injury. And, um, for me, the thing the thing I really struggle with with drowning is that it's silent. So you don't have those warning noises, right? Like if a kid falls down the stairs or something, you know, otherwise awful, you, you hear it, you know, something's going on. There will be a cry of some sort in most cases, but we don't get that with drowning. Um, and it's quick. So the recommendation for small children is just anytime they're in or around water. So this would apply to a bucket, a toilet, a bath pool, lake, ocean, we should ideally be within arm's reach. So we call that touch supervision, um, meaning if they were to slip under, we're there to grab them. Um, so a few places this often goes sideways at bath time is, oh, I forgot the towel or, oh, I'm at the, I ran out of their soap and I've got another one, you know, down in the pantry. And so then we start thinking, oh, they're, they're going to be okay for a second. They're going to be okay for a second. Um, but it's, it's such a quick and silent thing that we really shouldn't walk away. So, um, this is where, like, I had a very close call with my own daughter where my husband and I didn't communicate this well um, when she was a baby. And so, you know, just making a rule of if anyone needs to walk away from bath time, if someone else is there to take over, call them to take over and walk away when that person's within arm's reach. If you're by yourself with baby, take baby with you. Um, it's just one of those very simple. It's, you know, might take a few extra seconds. It might be a little bit more messier than we liked, but it just mm -hmm. keeps them safe. Um, and then uh, not trusting siblings to be supervision is the other one <laughs> because it's so easy to fall down that too. Like we're so tired, like being a parent is so exhausting and you just kind of want that moment. But 
um, bath time's not the moment for, um, you know, taking a seat and hanging out. So have all your stuff with you before you start bath time. And, uh, and then if anyone needs to walk away, either someone's right there before you leave or take the child with you, it's the easiest way to prevent it. Um, and then again, just, you know, not keeping standing water, drain the tub, uh, make sure you've got a way to prevent them from accessing the bathtub or bathroom without you. Um, and even if you're potty training them, you're going to have to wipe their bum. So, <laughs> you know, let them in. Yeah. Uh, it'll work itself out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is. So it's so much easier. Just, I mean, like not easier. It's to be just soaking wet because you had to pick them up than risking that. Because I feel like a lot of the time parents, like myself included, are like sort of weighing the options of sort of that inconvenience or like, do I really want to commit to putting my front anchoring my furniture in this exact space or can I do I have some time to think about it but we're always kind of like weighing but you're saying as always <laughs> just do the thing that is a little bit mo- less more annoying to you because the alternative is just so much worse even though it's not it's not like gonna definitely happen yeah. And, and it's just like, it doesn't have to be every little inconvenience in your life, but the ones that are the traumatic injuries, that's what we, we focus our energy on. Right. So mm-hmm. if it's, you know, like, oh, I'm going to leave them unattended with that stick for a minute. Okay. They might, <laughs> they might have something happen, but uh, the difference of the, leaving them unattended in water is just huge. huge yeah, yeah. 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 No. So scary. Water is, I feel like, my my number one fear. Like, when I think of anything, it's like water, like, gives me I know. a chill. I have to put a fence around my pool. <laughs> yeah, and childproofers do that. There's oh, childproofers that do that. Yeah. And um, the other thing I'll say with pool safety, too, that's huge is um, it's, hard, it's hard to do this because of the clothing industry. But if you can find bathing suits that are really brightly colored, like I'm talking yellow, orange, hot pink, red. Um, kids are way more visible in that. So if a child does slip out of your sight, the likelihood of you being able to see them is just significantly higher. They've done all these tests of uh, putting kids, or not kids, but just anyone, in a pool in a bathing suit that's blue or green or gray uh, or even black. And you just swim a few feet under, you're just invisible. It's wild to look at. Wow. Um, a really interesting Google search if anyone wants to look at that. But um, after that, I went and got just like these obnoxiously neon bathing suits for my <laughs> girls. <laughs> and the benefit is if you are, uh, you know, somewhere like a public pool or the beach, uh, you know where your kid is. You know exactly right. where your kid is because they're the obnoxious one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good tip. Yeah, really good tip. Neon bathing suits from now on, that's it. Um, so kind of the opposite of water. What should we do dealing with burns and fire and being around the kitchen? Yeah, so we try to keep kids ideally like three feet from a heat source as best we can. Um, but the main cause of burns in babies and toddlers is our hot drinks. Um, so what the two scenarios that are most common is either they pull our mug of coffee or tea off the coffee table, or uh, we have them sitting in our lap and then they bump us or something happens and we spill our drink. And it's, it's such a common injury. Um, But it's a really easily preventable injury just by drinking out of something like a travel mug. Um, I specifically, and I'm not paid to say this, but I am specifically a huge fan of the Contigo brand mugs because they have this little auto seal mechanism thing in them. So for you to drink out of them, you have to hold down a button. And then if you're not holding down the button and it gets knocked over, it doesn't spill the liquid. Um, and I think we all know that our kids don't let us actually enjoy our drink when it's warm. (laughs) So if you can put it in something like that, like one, it'll keep it warm, but two, you're not keeping it warm and then scalding them because it's got that auto seal mechanism. So it's a, it's a really, um, easy, like small swap that we can do in our routine to keep kids safe. But, you know, keeping things like fireplaces gated off is also just a really simple thing to do. Um, even gas fireplaces that have like a glass front on them, the pilot light is hot enough just to get that glass hot. So, um, making sure that you've got 
some kind of barrier there to prevent them from touching anything that could be hot, even if you've just got the pilot light on. Hopefully, I'm sorry if I'm giving you anxiety. <laughs> I'm looking no, I'm, I'm like just it- it- itching to call a child for <laughs> <laughs> I-, I always say to people, I'm so sorry I am burdened with statistics <laughs> over here. Um, but fire pits are a hard one. Fire pits are a really hard one because um, it's it's hard to kind of close that off. So I would just say, you know, in scenarios where you don't have a solid obvious option to baby proof something that's where that supervision is key like having someone hold the child or hold the hands with the child um and or not being around it if there's you know no adults present so um it's it's not always going to be a perfect science of having something in place but Ideally, three feet is is kind of our goal when it comes to heat sources. Their skin's just so much thinner and more delicate than ours that it just burns quicker. So, um, to come back to that drink one though for a second, uh, the drink the temperature that we drink our hot drinks at. Uh, so I think that's roughly 160 Fahrenheit is what most of us will drink a hot drink at. Uh, that is the same temperature that most hot water heaters are set at as a factory setting. And if a child were to receive a burn from that temperature, their skin will burn within a second. And if the temperatures drop to just like 149 Fahrenheit, it would take 10 minutes to cause the same damage. Oh, wow. So just like taking things down a few degrees <laughs> makes a huge difference too. Yeah. So, um, you know, consider, do I actually need to have this piping hot or could I cool it down a little bit? And it's another way to just reduce some risk. Just drink iced coffee. I also saw on your Instagram about, um, if you have a tablecloth, I saw on your Instagram, like a kid can pull that or something Mm -hmm. heavy on it or something hot. Mm -hmm. So like, that's also a, a risk, which I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, my mom is like Martha Stewart. Like I grew up with the full, like every holiday, there's a centerpiece on the table. And um, I realized when I became a mom, like, oh gosh, this is really hard to keep kids safe because they are so curious. If they put their body weight on a tablecloth, they'll just pull the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have that party trick that, you know, uh, servers at restaurants have where they can whip the whole tablecloth <laughs> off with everything on the table. So um, yeah, just being mindful that sometimes less is more, especially when it comes to entertaining. And, um, you know, if you are having people over for drinks or dinner, like <laughs> try to not leave your uh, glass like right on the coffee table where the, where the kid will get into it or ask guests to put their bags um, maybe like behind the baby gate so that kids aren't getting into them unattended and drinking hand sanitizer and doing other weird things that kids do, right? (laughs) Yeah. Now I've like added anxieties into things I never (laughs) thought of. (laughs) And this, is this obvious, but like, should you not hold a child when you're cooking? (laughs) Yeah, it's, so that one's so hard because I get why parents do it because like the second you're not doing that, what happens? You have an immediate meltdown from the child because they want your attention and then you're over here doing this other thing. Um, but like stuff splashes up and burns us too. And we know where our body is spatially, but we don't have control of their limbs. So, um, I always say to parents, like eat takeout. That's how I deal with it. Um, like if someone's not (laughs) there to hold the baby for you, eat takeout. Um, but you could strap them into a high chair and bring them nearby if they have like trunk control or, um, if it's a baby that's, you know, not sitting upright yet, could you bring a play yard nearby and just pop them in that so that they feel like they're a bit closer to you? Again, ideally three feet, at least from the cooktop, but that they are near enough to you that they don't feel like they're abandoned over in the corner um, being mm-hmm. ignored. So that's usually where all of that stems from is just that they feel left out. Independent play. It's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the 
must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And so I guess the last kind of big thing is car seat safety. You mentioned that you are certified in car seat safety. So what what are the, you know, the key things to remember when buckling your kid in? So harnessing is probably the thing that I see done incorrectly almost every single day of my life. Um, And I've checked thousands of car seats in the now almost seven years I've been certified in doing that. Um, There's like crazy statistics out there for how many are misused. Um, And they range anywhere from 40% to 95%. And I would say 95 is accurate, 100%, because I haven't seen even close to 10% of car seats used correctly. But the thing is, like, no one does it on purpose, no one's out there going, oh, endanger my child today. Yeah. Um, but uh, car seats are so important because we know that motor vehicle collisions are a leading cause of death. And if we can, you know, prevent that with something that's designed to do that, let's do it. And uh, harnessing them is just a huge piece. For the car seat to do its job, the seat has to be installed correctly and the child has to be harnessed correctly every single ride. So it's one of those things where coming back to that idea of, you know, I want to make sure that um, I'm not inconveniencing myself too much in my day-to-day life. It's the one where you really want to just take the extra second and get it right because driving's so dangerous and we don't have full control of that situation. There's other people on the road. So for harnessing kids, we just have to make sure that they are really snug. So you shouldn't be able to pinch up any slack above the chest clip. So if you were to pick it up and try to fold it into like a horizontal fold, um, if you can do that, then it's too loose. Uh, and so what I do say to parents is get it so that you can grab up everything you possibly can above the chest clip, hold it in one hand, and then tighten until that falls out of your fingers. And that's what we're aiming for. We call this the pinch test. But if you can still pull anything up above the chest clip, then you still need to keep going. Um, and that tight harness is, it often, again, coming back to things look uncomfortable to us that aren't as uncomfortable to them. They're so much more flexible. But if they're not tightly harnessed, then the car seat can't hold them in appropriately. Mm -hmm. And that chest clip, I think, is the thing where all of the, I like to call them sanctumummies, come out in the comment sections on the internet of, your chest clip's too low, your chest clip's too low. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) But they don't know why that matters. Uh, And a lot of people are like, oh, so they don't get like, you know, abdominal injury. It has nothing to do with that. The purpose of the chest clip is if it's high, you couldn't pull the straps off the shoulders. If the chest clip's down by their belly button, you can pull it right off their shoulders. So Mm -hmm. just having it at the armpit is so huge. And I think I probably do correct that almost every time when I'm helping a parent buckle their child into the car seat of like, this actually can just come up like another half inch or so. Uh, But just showing them, you know, like if it's here, look, look at how I can pull it. And if it's up a little higher, look how it doesn't move. Um, those little micro adjustments over time, you know, just read your car seat manual and just make sure like, did I actually put the harness through the right slots or is it adjusted correctly for them? Cause that stuff changes sometimes. And especially in the early days, every few weeks or months. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, going in and just checking in with yourself every now and then and going, okay, I'm just going to look this over and make sure I didn't miss something. What's the number one thing that parents do that's wrong when installing a car seat? Well, um, there's a lot. Give give top three. Give top three. (laughs) Not having it tight enough is huge. So um, the car seat where it's physically attached to the car. So not like where the child rests their head per se, but where it's actually attached to the car. So if the seat was rear facing, that would be kind of like where the child's feet sit. That shouldn't move more than an inch in any direction. So if you can slide that around at that point where it's attached to the car, then that seat's not installed tight enough. Um, That's one of the ones. 
for kids that are rear facing, especially newborns, uh, making sure the angle's correct. A lot of parents don't realize that most infant seats, like the ones that we carry around with a bucket, uh, the bases, a lot of them have the ability to adjust the recline and like kick a little foot out to make it more reclined. And it's kind of like a party trick when I do it. And I'll go, I didn't know that was there. But like those manuals, they're so overwhelming. Like I yeah. like, you know, I just want to like put out there when I took that course, my daughter was eight weeks old and I left the first day of it crying because I realized I did everything wrong. Um, and that was a normal experience. Like having everything done wrong is a normal experience. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I'm an awful parent. You are not. You are a regular parent. <laughs> and that's why we have resources. Um <laughs> But the other one would be, you know, just making sure that if you're using either the seatbelt or the lower anchors and not using both, there's very few cases where you can actually use both. And if you use both when you're not allowed to, which is almost every time, then uh, you could have the car seat not react properly in a crash. So um, a lot of those things where we think, oh, that might be safer, it boils down to crash testing. And we have to follow the recommendation in the manual because those are the people that engineered and crash tested that seat. And that's who we listen to. And if anyone's stuck, you can find a car seat technician in your area. Um, so you can go to the Safe Kids website, which is safekids.org, and you can locate a car seat technician and just find someone in your community who can check your car seat for you. Just get the peace of mind. So is there one safer option, whether you the, use the base or the seatbelt? Is one better than the other? No, they're really equally safe. The, at the end of the day, it's what do I get a better install with? And in one vehicle, you might get a better install using the anchors. And in another, you might get a way better install mm. with the seatbelt. So, um, and some seats are better with one or the other too. So um, just whatever gives you the tighter install, go with that one. Right. Uh, we had a car seat person come on and sort of tell us that like a lot of the car seat like marketing about safety is just mar is a lot of it is marketing. Yeah. So then Brittany and I freaked out, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, is, is, are there any, like, you know, your go-to car seats that are available in the U S yeah. So just to address that for a second, like if something's on the market and it's current, we consider it crash worthy. Meaning if you're in a crash and the crash is survivable and you have used your car seat correctly, so it's installed correctly, the kids harnessed correctly, it's going to save your kid. Um, so if you have to buy a $75 car seat because you can't afford an $800 car seat, that's fine. The difference is that you might, with a fancier seat that has more safety features, maybe they won't have a broken arm. But will they get through the crash if the crash was survival? Yes. So that's what we care about at the end of the day. So don't feel guilty if you can't. But for me, I will say um, collect car seats are awesome. I love them so much. They are great car seats. Um, but I also um, last year got sent an Evenflow Revolve to review. And I'm obsessed with that car seat, like obsessed. It spins. Um, and uh, I didn't, I was like, this is kind of gimmicky, but like getting a toddler in and out of a car seat that's rear facing is so much easier when you can just do it head on and then turn them back rear facing. So um, they're worth checking out, but not all car seats fit in all vehicles. Go to the store, try before you buy, make sure it actually fits because you don't want to be like me when I was pregnant with the second largest car seat on the market in a hatchback. So <laughs> made a lot of mistakes, well, learned from them. Well, thank you so much, Holly. This has been very informative. I'm about to call a child proofer right after this. Um, where can people take your course? Where can they follow you? All yeah, of those so things. Best place to find me is on Instagram. Our account is Safe Beginnings, and you'll find all of my baby and toddler safety tips there, and as well as our uh, online infant child CPR choking and injury prevention course is available through there. So definitely go check us out over there, and I will keep you up to date on all of the baby and toddler safety stuff as it comes out. 
Well, that's that's great. Everybody go check out Safe Beginnings. And that is it for this episode of Betcha's Mom's Podcast. Don't forget to go rate and review our show. You can follow us on Apple and Spotify. And don't forget to follow Betcha's Moms on Instagram. And remember, there are no rules on this podcast. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom, right, Regina? Please stop talking. The Betches Moms podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales-Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Social media by Brittany Levine. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow us at Betches Moms on Instagram and send us your emails to moms at betches.com. Betches.